Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Before we get started on the podcast today, I wanted to let you know about something we've got coming up. On June 3rd, just prior to CNU 22, which we're going to chat about today on the program, Strong Towns will be holding a boot camp at the Lafayette Hotel in downtown Buffalo. It's going to start at one o'clock. The cost is $60. We're going to be focused for four and a half hours on the specific things you can do to implement Strong Towns policies in your community. The boot camp is being done in conjunction with Mike Lydon of the Street Plans Collaborative. It's going to be a really fantastic day. To sign up, go to our membership site, strongtowns.us. And look for the link for the Strong Towns Boot Camp. It'll be right there on the top. Or you can go to events and scroll down and find it. June 3rd, Strong Towns Boot Camp, Buffalo, New York. Hope to see you there. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. everybody. This is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Thanks for tuning in the podcast this week. Many of you know that I have become deeply involved with the Congress for the New Urbanism. I was a CNU skeptic in the late 90s and early 2000s. I wouldn't say a skeptic, but someone who didn't really know the organization and quite frankly, didn't consider myself an urbanist in any way and, and just wasn't drawn to it. But over the years, as I've searched for solutions and really understanding to a lot of the problems that I was seeing in our cities, I kept finding myself back at this strange organization, the Congress for the New Urbanism. I started attending the annual Congress quite a number of years ago, got deeply involved in their next-gen organization, and now I'm proud to call myself a member, a new urbanist. Uh, This is one of the greatest gatherings annually, not only of architects, planners, engineers, and urban advocates, but also just this great interesting collection of local retailers and bike advocates and artists and local agricultural people. It's it's become just this fascinating kind of framework of just different people who all care about cities and the future of this country. I'm really excited today to have two of the hosts of CNU 22, which is going to be in Buffalo this year, Chuck Bannis and Chris Holly on the line. Welcome, uh, Chuck and Chris. Hello. Hello. Thanks, Chuck. We'll try not to confuse the audience because uh, we have the same name. That's true. <laughs> you use last names from here on in. I like to point out that Charles means manly, right? I believe it does. Yeah. <laughs> it means strong and manly. It means strong and manly. That's right. I like that choice. And I happen to be the third in my family, so. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. Back ways. I'm junior, and I opted. I decided before I had children that I would not put that burden on a Charles the Third. So, all right. Uh, Buffalo. I've been out to Buffalo now twice in the last year and a half. And I have to say, you know, before I came out, I had an affinity for Buffalo because you had lost as many Super Bowls as we had here in Minnesota. Now I have a real strong affinity because I found out that Buffalo is quite a spectacular place. Why don't you talk about Buffalo as a host city and how it's setting the tone for CNU 22? Well, thank you for reminding me about the four straight Super Bowl losses. <laughs> uh, Apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it's, this is something we, we 
try to forget about around here. But well, you know, Minnesota's lost four, but we didn't do it in quite so spectacular a fashion as sequential. You know, so I, I've always yeah. kind of you know had you guys in my heart in that sense. Yeah, four in a row is quite the feat. I don't. It probably no other team will ever do it again. They, they should <laughs> actually have a special trophy for that. I agree. I think. <laughs> so. Well, Senior 22 is coming to town, and I, I think it's really the only only the second city in the traditional Rust Belt to host it, other than Milwaukee, which what was that, 1999, I believe? So it's been a while in any case. And Buffalo's gone through so many trials and tribulations the last uh, 40 or 50 years. And in many ways, many of the problems that CNU has been addressing head-on are taking place here and have taken place here. So it's a, it's a great place to hold it, the Congress. In fact, I would argue perhaps the perfect place to hold it. You know, I'd also add we have a tremendous planning legacy in Buffalo. We have a tremendous history of, of great design. We have a radial street pattern designed after, Joseph, you know, Joseph Ellicott, the brother of Andrew Ellicott, who designed Washington, D.C. street grid. Frederick Law Olmsted built the country's first park and parkway system here. We just have a tremendous planning legacy and a great inheritance of walkable, compact, transit-served neighborhoods that have been under-recognized, particularly as a, as a rough belt city. I don't think we are typically considered among the same league as cities like Portland and, and Seattle and, and Boston, but in many ways we perform just as well. And we're this kind of hidden, you know, tarnished jewel that we're repolishing. And uh, after many years of population loss and economic decline, we're speaking up on America, and I think that it's really a good time to have the Congress in a city like ours. One of the themes that I know is kind of being bandied about, because I've been inundated with the whole lean urbanism conversation, and it seems to me like Buffalo kind of embodies this, you said, polishing up you know, something. It seems to me like you embody in many ways this kind of new economy, the new kind of bootstrap city where let's go out and do what we can with what we've got. And wow, you wind up with something that's pretty spectacular when you're done. How much of that is kind of going to be part of the the dialogue and the backdrop here to this Congress? Well, Senior has talked about this whole idea of uh, lean urbanism for several years now. And in the face of declining budgets and the bad economy that we've had in, in, in the country for the last few years, uh, a lot of places are having to do more with less, having to figure out how to be more creative, more productive uh, with all of their resources. I know Steve Muzan, pretty well-known urbanist, coined the term the original green. Right. I talk about traditional neighborhoods, how they perform better environmentally. I like to think of Buffalo as the original lean, because for at least 40 years here, we've been doing a heck of a lot more with a heck of a lot less. And we had the money to do a lot of really stupid things in the past, along with the rest of the country, certainly. And now we can't afford to be stupid anymore. Right. And I think Buffalo is a really good test case for a lot of that uh, lean urbanism, kind of emergent lean urbanism that's been happening across the country. It's been happening here for a long time. You know, I'd say we're also uh, turning the page in an era when, unfortunately, we did have a lot of money to tear down great historic neighborhoods, to plow highways through the center of our cities and neighborhoods. We're fortunate to be in a position now where we really have to spend our money very wisely and, you know, apply the limited resources we have as a Rust Belt city in a way that's guaranteed to create value. When I was there a little bit back, we had a little get together 
I think one of the things that was invigorating for me is the youthful energy that not only was in that room when we all got together, but just that I, I, I see and I sense throughout Buffalo and the, and the Buffalo region. Are there a lot of young people moving back? And why do you see that taking place right now at this point in time in that region? You know, uh, Buffalo is cool. It's affordable. It's authentic. Right now, for whatever reason, we just have tremendous excitement and enthusiasm and a sense of promise in Buffalo right now. And it's really hard to not see how that can translate, you know, into a resurgence for the city. You know, it's interesting looking at, at census data, you know, as, as a city planner locally, I'm, I'm kind of a data nerd. But, you know, Buffalo had the eighth largest increase among cities over 250,000 population in the demographic of people in their 20s in the last census, 2000 to 2010. And, you know, it's just a, it's a youthful and hip and interesting and authentic place. We're luring back a lot of folks who've moved away. I'm one of them. You know, I lived in South Carolina and New York, and I always wanted to move back, and here I am. For whatever reason, you know, we, we seem to be gaining a lot of momentum, you know, as, as a virtue of that, creating a lot of incremental progress as we're reviving neighborhoods one by one. If I can add to that, too, you know, all of those old cliches about the Rust Belt and about Buffalo in general are kind of going away. A lot of folks, a lot of older folks, aren't really paying much attention, and they're going to be blindsided by a lot of this stuff, hopefully very soon. You know, the old trope that, you know, we're getting older and poorer over time is actually no longer true. We're becoming uh, wealthier. We're becoming much younger and smarter, much better educated. We had uh, some of the highest increases in uh, degree attainment, graduate degree attainment of uh, any U.S. city. I think we were number one and number two in the, in the increase over the last uh, okay. couple of years. Per capita incomes rising faster than the national average. So we're more like uh, Pittsburgh and Grand Rapids in a way than we are like Cleveland and Detroit, which, um, you know, fortunately are still seeing declines in those categories. Buffalo is is reviving. And significantly younger than the national average, too. It's obvious now in some of the energy that you saw, youthful energy you saw when you were here. Yeah. I know you guys have a couple big things that are going on there that kind of tie real closely into the CNU. The CNU has, for the last half dozen years or so, been on the forefront of the highway teardown movement. You guys have one of these there, don't you? Yeah, we have several, actually. We have one that's currently taking place. We have a couple others within the city of Buffalo that are potential. So uh, one of the, uh, I think, top 10 highway teardown projects that the CNU has identified uh, is the Route 5 Buffalo Skyway here, right on our waterfront. Buffalo, like so many cities in the post-World War II era, built a lot of expressways where they didn't belong, chainsawed through neighborhoods. We cut off our waterfront with virtually all of our waterfront with an expressway of some kind. The uh, Skyway is uh, one of the biggies here. There's also another one that runs right through uh, the largest Olmstead Park in the city called the Skijakuda Expressway. By the way, that's how we can tell locals from, uh, from non-locals <laughs> down here. Can you pronounce Skijakuda? Yeah. Yeah. How would I pronounce that? <laughs> We've heard that mangled, I don't know how many, like Skatajigwa. Okay. So now our listeners have the inside track when they come to CNU. Say that one more time then, the right way. Skijakuda. Skijakuda, okay. We're good. Skijakuda. It's a Native American term. And in fact, that was actually mangled. There's about a a hundred different ways to pronounce that in the historical record. And it ended up somehow as Skijakwita. I think finally when they put the signs up in the 40s or 50s, they finally settled on a standard. (laughs) 
Gotcha. So you've got these highway teardown projects. Is there a lot of momentum there behind these things? I mean, is this something where you guys experienced a lot of pushback and a lot of fight? Or are people looking back saying, what did we do? Let's undo some of this. Well, I think, you know, we've recognized, you know, in the 50s and 60s, by and large, we've made some huge mistakes in the city. It's become kind of a common lore and widely held among local citizens here that, you know, building highways through neighborhoods and through some of our glorious parks and along our waterfront was among those huge mistakes. It's remarkable, actually, to see how much unanimity there is to correct those mistakes. Chuck didn't mention another just north of us in Niagara Falls, the Robert Moses Expressway. I mean, basically, the community came together and decided, you know, it's not a good idea that we have, you know, limited access expressway dividing the city of Niagara Falls from one of the great wonders of the world. And the state agreed and didn't put up much of a fight. And they're removing the roadway, replacing it with a pedestrian-friendly parkway. You know, that was one of those unexpected successes that folks attending the Congress can learn more about. Within the city itself, the uh, expressway that I referred to earlier, the one that runs right down a parkway and through uh, Olmsted's largest park in the city, Delaware Park, that has been recognized as a mistake virtually from the time it was constructed. There's always been a lot of feeling within the community that it needed to be removed at some point, that it was a huge mistake. The uh, New York State DOT has never really gone along with that whole idea. They've, uh, they're the only real source of uh, pushback, as you might say, over the last 30, 40 years since that whole thing went in. There's still the logjam today. There's a project to redo the expressway, to maybe change it into something slightly different than an urban expressway. The DOT seems really unwilling to take the full step and remove it and replace it and restore the park and, and the neighborhoods that they helped destroy uh, you know, 50 years ago. And of course, they're so flush with cash that they don't have to think differently about anything, right? Yes and no. I mean, the <laughs> New York State DOT actually has a policy of retiring infrastructure because yeah. they haven't been able to afford really the, on the current system. So they have an actual policy of trying to get rid of non-essential infrastructure. Okay. But Region 5, which is our section of the state of the DOT, doesn't seem to be very progressive. Yeah. We're trying as a community to get them to think differently about it. You know, so far the answer seems to be, yeah, you can have whatever you want, community, as long as it's an expressway. <laughs> now, it reminds me of the old four-bottle tea thing. Exactly. Now, when I was there the last time, I met a couple of your people that were working on your coding team with the city. You guys are in the process of putting together a form-based code. I've actually heard of how great this is going to be when it's done. Tell me a little bit about that process or where you guys are at and, and you know how this is going to change things in the city of Buffalo. I started in about 2006 as a just a community activist and an advocate. I've been doing stuff like this at the community level for years, planning and land use and transportation work with a group called the New Millennium Group in town, which was a group of young professionals, folks mainly in their 20s and 30s that decided they wanted to become part of the solution and not just sit around and complain or leave. It was a great group to become involved with, and we got involved in some very progressive issues. And around about the middle of the 2000s, the first decade there, I can't believe it's about something like eight years ago now, we decided that uh, zoning was a big problem. We had a a traditional, actually I should say conventional zoning code in the city that was written 
1952 or thereabouts, essentially specified that uh, the city be retrofitted over time into some version of automobile-oriented suburbia. That's the way the rules were, were written. And the more we dug into the code, the more we realized that this was actually doing some real damage to our city over time. All these great neighborhoods that people wanted, all these great neighborhoods that we loved and we wanted, were essentially illegal under the code. Right. We couldn't build them anymore, and we couldn't rebuild them. Imagine the, some of the nicest neighborhoods that you, that you can think of, every other building, or maybe even in some cases two out of every three buildings, gone. You have to knock them down for parking because, the, for one thing, the parking requirements were too high, and the frontage requirements basically made all of these uh, neighborhoods illegal. So we saw that as a fundamental problem with the city, and we wanted to go with something much better. Well, one of the cool things about Chuck Bannis here is that he was the one who convinced me that zoning was even an interesting topic, and now I'm working on the code project for the city. You know, just to give you some perspective, you know, we haven't done a comprehensive rewrite of the zoning code since 1953. <laughs> you know, that was yeah. the same year that President Eisenhower was settling into the White House, and Elvis Presley, you know, recorded his first song at Sun Studios in Memphis. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine how out of date it is and, uh, and how out of sync it is with, with modern-day values about urbanism and walkable neighborhoods and transit-oriented development. I mean, it's a code informed by all the worst ideas fueling urban renewal, highway construction, and suburbanization. And with the adoption of a new form-based code, Buffalo will literally go from one uh, from having one of the worst zoning codes in the country to hopefully one of the best. And that's something I think to pay attention to. Yeah. The thing that I really find interesting about it is it's a very lean code. Uh, we're taking literally 1,804 pages of regulations and trashing it and replacing it with, you know, a lean, about 300-page code filled with uh, illustrations and tables supplemented by, you know, an intuitive table of contents written in plain English so that it's accessible to, you know, both the layman and the specialist alike. I think folks at CNU will find it, you know, a, a major advancement in form-based coding practice. Yeah, we have to really put our mark on the whole practice of form-based coding here. I think we're going to be the fourth larger city to do it. Miami was the first, then Denver. We thought we'd beat Cincinnati, but they beat us. They're starting to implement theirs now. They're not going to have theirs citywide for another couple more years. They're doing it kind of piecemeal. We're doing the, the whole enchilada all at once. You know, it's also worth noting, we'll be the first large Great Lakes or Rust Belt city to adopt a citywide form-based code. So I think it's going to be pretty awesome. In addition to streamlining the process and getting results that focus on neighborhoods, you guys, even before this, are seeing a lot of revitalization taking place. Can you just talk a little bit about some of the things going on in your neighborhoods and in your core downtown and the nodes that are kind of connected to that? We were just uh, talking about this before the call, too, about how a lot of the revitalization that we're seeing in Buffalo is the, the kind of healthy kind that uh, the folks, a lot of the folks in CMU have been talking about for years. In, in that, I mean, it's been small scale and, and very incremental. The hundred hands instead of the one or two and the, the silver bullet projects are actually pretty far and few between. I've often said it's not the one or two hundred million dollar projects that, that will save a neighborhood. It's the hundred million dollar projects or the two hundred half million dollar projects you know, and on and on. It's those small-scale investments that have to happen kind of incrementally, organically. That's real investment. That's real revitalization. And we're starting to see that all over the place now in Buffalo. And uh, several years ago, that wasn't the case. 
You know, and to add to that, you know, it hasn't been easy for developers to undertake this this kind of incremental, you know, walkable urban development that we start we're starting to see pop up all over the city. You know, every good project requires a dozen variances. So our code gets in the way every step of the way, and by adopting a new code that recognizes the inherited legacy of walkable compact neighborhoods that the city still has, we're going to you know, have a process going to make economic development a lot easier in the city. It's a code that actually respects its context rather than tries to change it, the context. You know, the new code is really an economic development initiative first and foremost. You eliminate unnecessary bureaucracy, create a code that's easy to understand and apply, and that recognizes the inheritance of walkable mixed-use neighborhoods that we're now starting to restore. One of the really interesting things about Buffalo as a place to hold the Congress is the fact that you do have this connection across the border with a completely different country. How is that going to impact some of the things that people will experience when they come to Buffalo for this program? How does that impact you guys and the city that you live in? You know, we're almost like a tale of two regions in many ways. I mean, uh, the Buffalo region is still declining in population modestly. We're, you know, slow growth, slight decline uh, region uh, that is, you know, just starting to to, uh, to get itself revived. And across the border, literally across the river, you can see Canada from the tops of our houses. You have, you know, the fastest growing metropolitan area in North America, Toronto. So it'll be a very interesting conversation to have here at the Congress because we'll have folks from the greater Toronto area, folks from Buffalo and folks from all over the country talking about how, you know, these new urbanist principles can be applied in very different places. The combination of wildly different situations in both Toronto and in the Buffalo region will create an interesting mix of folks, not just, uh, you know, we have an area that's booming, an area that hasn't been booming for a long time right next to each other. We've also got two countries with whole different legal frameworks and slightly different cultural perspectives. It's going to be a really interesting uh, mix of folks at the Congress, and I think we're going to get a lot of perspectives that we haven't had before. I see that we're going to have Peter Calthorpe on the agenda, Enrique Penalosa. Tell us about the program a little bit. What should people expect coming in in terms of people who have been to a CNU before? How's Buffalo going to be a little bit unique? Like we've seen in so many Congresses before, I've only been to a couple so far, Salt Lake City and Madison is how the city in which the Congress is placed kind of sets the agenda for the conversation. You know, Buffalo being, you know, a Rust Belt city, I think provides a wonderful context for conversation, particularly for the really wonderful array of uh, folks who are going to be in town. I mean, some really big names, Peter Calthorpe, Enrique Peñalosa, the former mayor of Bogota, who transformed, you know, an automobile-clogged city into a, a pedestrian and bicycle paradise. You know, Ken Greenberg, he's a, you know, well-known urban designer in Toronto, Robert A.M. Stern, Ben Hamilton Bailey, who, who basically is spearheading the entire shared street net, you know, uh, movement in uh, the UK and Europe. That's a, yeah, that's a big one. I, I'm really looking forward to him simply because he's completely changing the paradigm of how streets are designed and doing this idea of like passive traffic control and shared space. And we could learn a lot from what he's been doing in, in Europe and, and changing their standards and their way of doing business as far as transportation is concerned. You know, I would also talk about Harriet uh, Tregoning and Jennifer Kizamat. Basically, uh, Harriet is the, she's from the Washington, D.C. Office of Planning, and Jennifer's from Toronto, and they're doing a a joint presentation together. So I think uh, their two experiences with planning will be uh, invaluable to the Congress and and 
one of the things CNU has been trying to do the last few years, too, is to expand their scope a little bit into, into places like Canada. It's great for the movement to have the, uh, the Congress here so we can really have this conversation. You know, Buffalo really is a tale of two cities in many ways. We have the city that's reviving in a really big way. You know, hipsters opening galleries and coffee houses, immigrants and refugees reviving neighborhoods that were left for dead. We also have another, you know, city here in Buffalo that is continuing its spiral of decline. You have some neighborhoods that, you know, if you're familiar with smart code lingo, have literally gone from a T5 and T4 to a T1 in under a generation. And, you know, no one at any Congress has ever had the opportunity to immerse themselves in both the uh, successes and inherited, you know, planning legacy of a once great American city and, you know, soon to be uh, hopefully again a great American city, but also in, in a place where, you know, you're, you're facing tremendous challenges. So a neighborhood that have literally lost 90% of their population since 1950 that have gone from one of the densest urban environments in the country to one of the most rural environments of any American city. It's going to be a really interesting place to have a conversation about some really cool issues. Yeah, one thing I, I got I to say there, Chuck, is that a lot of folks compare Buffalo to Detroit, and we're you know, like on both ends of Lake Erie here, several hundred miles apart, and both industrial cities. So there are a lot, certainly a lot of similarities, but Buffalo is entirely different than Detroit in many ways. There's a stark contrast between the parts of the city that are doing rather well and the parts that aren't whereas Detroit is, is a little bit more of a monoculture of decline. It'll be interesting for folks that have been to Detroit, and a lot, and a lot, a lot of folks have, and kind of seeing what's happened there and the revitalization that's starting to happen there and con- contrast it with what's going on on the ground here. It's an entirely different city in many ways, one that's doing remarkably well and another one that isn't. Yeah, I feel like, in a sense, you know, my assessment of the two, Buffalo, there's a lot more still there. As you're climbing back out, you're not starting from some of the depths of despair that Detroit has had. And, you know, you, while you certainly do have the periphery and all the development that's happened out there, you still have these really great core neighborhoods that are well connected and, you know, pretty vibrant yet today with a trajectory that is certainly gives you a lot of optimism. Let me kind of ask you a little bit about the events and stuff that are going to be surrounding CNU. Everyone that I've ever been at has got the program, which is great, but also has all these things going on. And that's really the kind of life of the Congress is almost like what happens outside of the sessions. And I'm thinking more too for the the people that have not been to a Congress before. What's kind of the draw for them and some of these events, some of these things going on, some of the ability to meet some of these innovative thinkers that are you're bringing in from all around the world? What's the draw for someone who's maybe where I was a decade ago? You know, I'm not an urbanist. I don't know if this is for me. What should bring them to Buffalo for this event? One of the things, even apart from this year's location, I have to say about CNU in general is that CNU is not one of these kind of dry planning conferences that you, you, you know, you might go to with the APA or something like that. CNU has always been very approachable. They try to speak common language to people to address people's common problems. It's almost a populist movement in many ways, and it's something that the average activist or citizen, politician, and developer can really sink their teeth into. And that's one of the things I've always loved about it. Of course, as they say, that you know the best uh, conversations happen in the hallways or uh, after hours over a beer. Certainly, the regular part of the conference and the regular sessions are important, but it's those conversations 
that the regular sessions stimulate later on, which are really the heart and soul of the Congress. And uh, we've got a lot of opportunity for that this year. Buffalo is a very compact city, so we're trying to keep people as much as possible into uh, you know one area, not spread out all over the place. There's going to be a lot of after-hours opportunities for gathering and touring, casual touring and sightseeing along the waterfront, parts of downtown, in the old Lafayette Hotel, which has been recently restored. That's kind of going to be the center of after-hours activities for CNU Next Gen. So we're doing a lot of things that CNU has been doing the last few years, but we're, uh, of course, applying it to, to Buffalo. So you're going to get a lot of local stuff, hopefully a, a lot more intermingling even than you've had in other places, which aren't quite as compact and walkable. Well, a couple of things that CNU NextGen is uh, planning, and both Chuck and I here are, are part of a local effort to kind of create some CNU NextGen programming. You know, the, the first day that everyone's going to be here at the Congress on Wednesday, we, we've got planned out uh, an amazing pub crawl. We've got some of the coolest bars in the country. On Thursday, I'm really excited about, you know, a uh, an event that we'll be hosting at uh, Silo City, which is uh, part of the largest collection of grain elevators anywhere on the planet. Buffalo was once the largest grain port in the world. All that old, you know, grain infrastructure is still present in the city. So we'll be hosting a um, uh, really cool event with a bonfire and some brewskis and some food trucks. That's a funky, cool um, place. I may even be able to get some folks on top of the elevators and offer them some stunning views of the Great Lakes in downtown. That is a funky, cool place. It is really, really great. That makes me really excited. (laughs) We'll get kind of a more intimate view of that than what I got last time. That's a great place amazing. There's nothing else like it on the planet. You have to come to Buffalo to see it. It's great to see it from the land, too. But, of course, as uh, most people don't even realize, these uh, grain silos were built along the water. And uh, there's a a small river that runs through the industrial area. There'll be water tours of the uh, Silo City and the Grain Elevator District as well. So it's really going to be a heck of a tour and an industrial landscape that most people will have never seen before, and we'll never get a chance to see again. Now, I was told that I'm going to be captain of a next-gen kickball team that's going to be assembled at some point here. So I know there's there's other activities, uh, <laughs> you know, related to uh, just getting together and, and meeting people and having a good time. If any of our listeners out there are going and are uh, reasonably athletic, get a hold of me. I think I can recruit a team. We won't be doing any performance-enhancing drugs, but uh, we will be having a fun time. I hate to lose, so get a hold of me. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to that. As I understand, we're planning the uh, the soccer games on the uh, waterfront, on the old Central Wharf. Sweet. Which started to be restored. By the way, not only uh, a nice grassy area for now, it's uh, become a very popular public space. That was... Uh, hugely important historical area uh, for the whole country. I think you know, more immigrants came through that one little area than uh, ever came through Ellis Island. So that was the, kind of the gateway to Western expansion. You'll get the historical part of it as well as hopefully a little exercise. Guys, I'm psyched. The dates are June 4th through 7th, Buffalo, New York, CNU 22. The website, cnu.org forward slash CNU 22. Anything else people need to know in terms of registration or getting connected or getting there? Well, just head to the website and sign up. You guys won't regret it. I mean, uh, Buffalo knows how to throw a good party. And I'll tell you, we've never had a planning event like this in Buffalo since the National Conference on City Planning in 1919 hosted by Frederick Law Olmsted Jr. 
So, um, you know, it's a big deal for us, and we can guarantee that everyone's going to have a great time in Buffalo. Everyone always has a great time here. I certainly did the last couple of trips I've had there. I'm excited for this. It's going to be a blast. If you're a Strong Towns enthusiast, this is one of those not-to-miss kind of events. So I hope to see you all there. Chuck, Chris, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Chuck. It was my pleasure. I'll put up some links so that people can get connected to the whole thing and get in touch with you guys if they've got any questions. Thanks for all the work you're doing. I, I know this is a huge undertaking to put this all together. I really appreciate everything you guys have done. Thanks. Oh, thank you, Chuck. We're looking forward to seeing you. I'll see you in a couple months. Take care, guys. You too. All right. See you. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening, and keep doing what you can to build a strong town. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah.